Good morning. It's great to have a clap beforehand because that means you're in faith that uh, what I'm going to say to you is going to be good. Yes, come on. So if you're still clapping at the end, Harvey, please. So this is a three-week series on prayer. Now it's um, it's nearly 16 years since I did this in Seaford, and when I last did it, Tamsin was a few months old and still wearing nappies, but she's. <laughs> She's moved on since then, (laughs) pleased to say. So last week, Jez was showing us how um, religion kills prayer and how we can easily turn our relationship with God into something that's mechanical and like a contract, and it just kills it. And it will be like any relationship you've got with a family member being turned into an official meeting and not a loving relationship. So that kills prayer. Next week, Jez is going to be talking about restless. We've got three R's. Um, I don't know what that's going to be about, but we'll find out. And I'm the filling in the middle of the Jez sandwich. Today is going to be... I'm the meat in the sandwich. Um, We're talking about rebelliousness. And I think that's probably just because it starts with R. Um, We could call it sin. According to the Oxford Dictionary... It's the action or process of resisting authority, control or convention. doesn't sound very nice. Um, Rebellion is basically saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. We don't want this thing. So if, um, as a child, your mother might have said, eat your sprouts, I don't want this thing. And so all of us can identify with rebellion. Time for bed. I don't want this. And... So rebelliousness or sin is something we can all identify with. If we look in the Bible, we can see that God says um, that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us are in the same boat, or at least we were. So before we go any further, um, we're just going to now review... um, just a bit about sin and about where we would be as Christians. If you're not a Christian today, then you can really easily become a Christian today. It's really easy because God's done all the work. We just have to say yes and believe. So that's good news. So the Bible um, is God's word. And ever since I was a Christian, I've loved the Bible. And I was just amazed when I first read it, that it contained things that Jesus did, that God said, things that were true, things about people and things over a long period of time. And I was fascinated by what it contained. And it contains things about him. He reveals um, that he's made what he's made, what he's like, what he doesn't like, how he expects us to live, how different people responded to him at different times. And one of the things that we see is that if we fall short of what God wants, because he's holy and totally other than us, totally separate, no one like him, If we fall short of what he wants, that is called sin. So it's a falling short of whatever his standard is. But the good news for Christians and the good news for any of us, if you're not a Christian, because God has made a way for us to be forgiven and be released from sin and be adopted as his children. We heard last week again that we're adopted as God's children. That's primarily how we relate to him. We relate to him as sons and daughters who have had our past wiped out we, we're not coming as if we've got to sort of keep work, work well and be on probation and kind of make up for things because Jesus has done everything that is necessary. If you have a Christian, you have a new nature 
and you can come to God as your father. Some people have said, well, if that's all true, I don't need to uh, confess sins anymore. I don't need to be forgiven anymore because it's all been done. Um, and that actually isn't true. Um, one of the things that it says in Titus in verse 2, it says about this grace that's appeared to us, offering us salvation, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, Titus 2, 11 to 12. So God empowers us by his grace to live lives that please him. And he wants us to keep short accounts with him and with other people to enable us to do that. And one of the things that happens if we don't do that is that this thing can kill prayer, that rebellion or sin or things that are unconfessed or unresolved can hamper and hinder our prayer lives. When I was at primary school, and primary school, it was a separate primary school, so I was there between the ages of 7 and 11, We said a prayer every day, and I worked it out that for five days a week, for four years, for 39 weeks a year, I must have said it 780 times, and it starts off, Our Father. don't know if anyone else has said that prayer in assemblies. I don't even know whether it's still done. Probably not in state schools, in church schools, yes. But Our Father, who art in heaven, it was was difficult for a seven-year-old to understand. It was further made difficult by the fact that it used Old English. I didn't know what art meant. Or, or, you know, and it talks about trespasses and things like that. But I, I prayed this prayer, and it was a bit like religion killed the prayer. I didn't understand it to start with. By the time I got to 780 times, I'd just totally lost it. But a few years later, I became a Christian, and I discovered a verse that um, I found really changed my idea of prayer, and I found it really exciting. So do I just press that? Do I? We then the first... Oh, right, okay. Oh, here we go. Is that it? Yes, here we go. So it's, this is the first couple of verses. The next day, as, we were leaving Beth- as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit on it. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree... May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now I shall say a bit more in a minute, but this gave me an idea about sort of things that you might be able to do with this kind of activity. I've skipped a few verses, but it said, In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain... Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was going to change. So if on Tuesday we're going to move mountains, we can um, say things to things and they will move and obey us, that we can believe and as we're praying, we believe that we receive them and we do get them. That is a bit more exciting than 780 times of our Father in heaven. It's slightly different. It says in verse 25, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I'll come back to that in a minute. So, I thought that I could try this verse out. 
And when we used to live in Hove, our neighbours had a laburnum tree, and that is a picture of a laburnum tree. It's not the actual tree that was next door. But these things, don't be deceived by their pretty flowers this time of year. When you're not looking, they'll dump hundreds, if not thousands, of seeds in your garden, and they'll grow up with these little um, saplings later on. You've got to pull them all out. So I thought I'd try out this verse, and I used to go out in the garden and curse the thing. <laughs> Because I didn't like this tree, I didn't like the idea that my neighbour let it grow over the edge, so I cursed it, and my plan was that that would turn into that. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't. Um, I did practice for a number of years, and I, I did wonder as well whether it would work on seagulls and <laughs> neighbours' cats and things. So may you never wake me up at 5.30 in the morning squawking and dropping things on my car again type of thing. We can do things like that. Or maybe we can't. So one of the things that I also noticed in this verse is that in verse 25 it says and. So it's talked about um, speaking to things, it's talked about mountains moving, it's talked about believing and receiving. In verse 25 it says and. So is this, this is then connected, I suppose, to what we've just read. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And when you read things like that, you can think, well, if that means what I think it might mean, um, it's got big implications, so I think I'll just skip it and pretend I didn't see it. But then I remembered that in the prayer that I prayed 780 times, I had prayed, forgive us our trespasses or sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So I'm now beginning to think that my prayer has got something to do with how I conduct relationships and the state and quality of the relationships I've got with people here on earth because it's talking about prayer and forgiving others. And it doesn't say, uh, it says at the end of that in verse 25, and when you stand, it doesn't say any more than that. So we'll look a bit further and a verse that um, really says it all is in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. I'll read it out to you. It says, Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners. Not very politically correct, but then the Bible isn't. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that clearly says that the way you conduct a relationship here can hinder your prayer. So, in other words, relational issues can be prayer killers. They can be prayer killers. So it matters how you get on with your husband, how you get on with your wife. It says husbands, it's talking about husbands and wives, but we can see that it goes further than that because in verse 25 it makes more sense of that verse and when you stand praying. And in the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, it says, we forgive, uh, forgive us as we forgive. That is another big implication. We're saying, forgive me as I forgive. We get to set the high, how high the forgiveness bar is. Um, and that's a bit of a scary thing, really. Is it, it, if, you, if you consider things like that, it might make you think, I'd better keep shorter accounts and sort things out rather quicker because I could be standing praying, asking for things, and there's something in the way of my prayers. There's something hindering my um, cries out to God, even if I'm doing it in my best 1611 um, King James voice and 
language, I'm using these and theirs because apparently, you know, God thinks that's more spiritual so we can use a 1611. I think he actually likes contemporary ones as well because he's looking at what's in the heart. So now we have a... I haven't got your things. You have to kick me when it's nearly... You haven't got it. No? I've got as long as I like, have I? As long as I like. So Matthew 18, this one's going to come up as, where's the tree again? So, Peter, so it's Matthew 18, 21 to 24. Like we're actually going further than that. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Probably being a bit generous. Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or in the footnote, it says 70 times seven. In other words, a lot. Keep going. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like the king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a thousand silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed it over to the jailers to be tortured until he should repay all that he owed. And for quite a while, I'd I'd read this... um, verse and I used it when I found it difficult to forgive someone because I had in my mind the uh, huge amount that I'd been forgiven because that's the point of the story compared with the minuscule amount that I had as an issue with someone else you know in terms of you know someone's tree not being cut on the grand scale of things it doesn't even register or other things that we can find irritating particularly when we're driving or something suddenly things can get out of all proportion but my debt was just beyond being paid and yet it was wiped out the debt that I have with someone else is minuscule and then it said in verse 35 this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart and you think well surely this is really doesn't belong here surely our father isn't going to treat us like that surely um, our relational issues or whether we've forgiven someone else isn't going to hinder our prayers but the reality is that it does and what I found is is that God changed my life with this passage I'd seen for many years the thing about the, um, the, the different debts being owed but it was the last verse a couple of years ago that really changed my life and, and has really meant that you know we're now living in a different place. Everything has changed because of verse 35 for me, because God spoke to me from it. 
Forgiving others is God's best and his will for us. He knows that unforgiveness is destructive and it bears ugly fruit because you don't just start off with unforgiveness. It really opens the door to other things like bitterness, like um, cynicism. You, you tend to become negative and um, it, it, has, it, it has an ugly taste. It bears some very terrible fruit. It opens the door to hatred, which is a strong word, but it's, it's out of that kind of pot that all sorts of things can spring if we don't do what God's word says. It can also, as I found out, if you don't resolve relational issues quickly, it can cause health issues. I had digestive problems um, because I didn't do what God's word says. He gives us his word for our good, not as some kind of big stick, you must do this. He knows what's good for us. And I didn't do it, and my body didn't... um, respond very well. It doesn't mean to say that everyone with digestive seat diseases needs to forgive someone, but in my case, at that time, it did. So unforgiveness is deadly. It will hinder our prayers, and it's like, um, because I've had, I had for many years uh, particular issues that were a big stumbling block to me, and I couldn't get past them, and I wanted um, justice, I wanted revenge, I wanted different things. But the thing is, for me to stay in unforgiveness or to stay in this kind of imprisoned place, it's a bit like me drinking poison and hope that you die because um, the poison is killing me and not you. And that's, that's really what happens when we get in this twisted mess of relational problems that aren't resolved. And one of the things that we can think is, well, surely it's like letting the person off the hook you know, they shouldn't be allowed to get away with it so lightly because they did this to me and I didn't do anything. I was innocent. And I, I don't um, really feel as if I can just let it go because justice wouldn't have been done. I don't want to just sweep it under the carpet. And one of the, one of the things that came to me several years ago was from a psalm in 103, Psalm 103. I was very familiar with this psalm, very familiar with this verse, but God spoke to me from it in a new way. And the verse is, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Then God spoke to me from this verse. It wasn't like, Colin, you didn't speak down from heaven, but quite often when God speaks to me, it's like an impression or something on the inside. But I knew that he was speaking to me. And this is what he said. He said, do you believe that I am just? And I said, yes, I believe that you're just. And he said, well then, will you trust me to do whatever is right, even if it's different to what you want? Because I work righteousness and justice for you. And I will do so in this situation. It might mean that there is a consequence for the person who did it. It might mean that there isn't. But you trust me to resolve it and let it go. And that's what I did with that particular issue. Because he works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Now, I have a bit of a story of forgiveness, a bit of a journey, and it, as I said, it comes out of verse 35 there in Matthew 18. Sometimes we can cause problems in our lives. We can say things we wish we'd never said. Sometimes we think, well, you know, 50-50 maybe, you know, I was possibly a bit to blame. Other times we're totally innocent, and that's the most difficult one to get over. And that was a bit like what had happened to me. It, something happened that it affected my health, it affected my job, my dreams, where we lived, long-standing relationships, it affected everything. 
And I forgave as best I could because I knew that that's what we should do and that's what God wanted. But it was only as best I could at the time. I went through different things of counselling, different prayer lines. I was on different things, different things resolved at different times. But still there was something underneath. One day I was talking to a friend who'd also had a difficult relational situation and he just mentioned in passing that he prays for the person that, were, that did him wrong and he was innocent. He, he mentioned that he prayed for him sometimes. And I thought, that is, I could never ever do that. I could not do that. I thought I could not put myself in that position and pray for this person and pray that they be blessed. And it was really a test to me and revealed to me that there was still something really quite ugly in my heart that I needed to get rid of, but I didn't at that time. Later on, I had a great opportunity that it was everything I'd ever dreamed of. We'd um, moved away to Hove, and we were really not at home. It was a real struggle to be there, different things going on, and something cropped up, and an opportunity opened itself, we moved and looked, well, didn't move, but we, we moved towards the thing, looked at it, thought, yes, it's, it's everything, but some things cropped up that exposed some things from the past, and I saw um, the current situation through the eyes of the past, and that's one of the things that can happen when you have unresolved things in the past. You can see people or situations through coloured lenses. So you can see a person that reminds you of something, you see a situation that reminds you of something, and this... Um, being in a prison, this kind of bondage on the inside um, it means that you can't make free decisions. You can't move and be in the place that God wants you to be. You can't be free because you're still in prison and God actually wants you to come out and he's empowered you to come out as we shall see in a minute. I had to let the opportunity go. I couldn't follow through with it because I wasn't free on the inside. I, I, I'd never, ever been so disappointed in all my life. And a couple of years on from that, I came across this verse and I saw that I could, I could come out of this prison. And the thing is, I had the key in my hand. The door was locked. The key was in my hand and the key is called forgiveness. We're empowered to get out. It's not that... We can't get out. God has given us the ability to get out. We just forgive. And he's waiting at the door for us to come out. And after I did forgive, I could pray blessing like my friend could. I could be free. And I could rejoice that I had high blood pressure for 15 years that had to be controlled with medication. I tried alternative things to try and get it down, but I could not. I now have normal blood pressure without medication. And that did not happen in that 15-year period until I forgave and resolved, so it affected my health. I then had, we then had um, great confusion as to when we would move. So in terms of hindering prayer, I would pray, God, give me vision, lead us by a straight path, show us the way to go, show us what to do. But I couldn't see, I couldn't see clearly. And because this um, relational issue had hindered my prayers... And um, after forgiveness, I could see what we should do. I, I had vision back. We could pray. We had been looking on and off for a house for four years, and within a couple of days, we found the only house we wanted within that time frame, which was the house that we wanted to do everything um, that we wanted to do. Before we moved, there were no school places available. By the end of the summer holiday, we had the three places in the, three, in the, in the two schools that we wanted. 
So God hears prayer, but my prayers were hindered by what was in my heart. It says in Psalm 66, 18 to 19, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my prayer. Did I feel like forgiving? No, I did not feel like forgiving. I felt hypocritical to forgive. It felt like, well, if I do that, then I'm betraying myself. I'm letting them off the hook, and we've covered that. But I forgave by faith. It's by faith. I realized one day um, that I could do it by faith. It didn't have to wait for my feelings to line up with, am I ready to do it emotionally? I had to make a decision that I'm going to do this by faith. And I did. So unforgiveness, it affected my relationships, but it also affected my physical, mental, emotional and spiritual health. It affects everything. Now, one of the things that is very interesting, and especially if it wasn't your fault, if something has happened to you and it wasn't your fault, you start off innocent. But the problem is, over time, you can become gradually also guilty. You're not, you didn't do the same thing as the other person did. But if God requires us to forgive and we don't, there's the first sign of guilt if we then open the door to other things that follow through, like bitterness, um, rage, and just anger. And it's not that I don't, I do, I do understand what that's like, and I don't minimise what it's like to feel like that. But we measure ourselves up against God's holy standard, and, and sometimes the innocent one can also become guilty in some ways, and themselves need to be forgiven for the kind of things that they've had in their own hearts. We can still see ourselves in the same way as we started, which was the innocent party. And and in, in, in the sense of that original thing, if there's something originally happened to you, that is still as it was. But we can have things that grow around our heart that we kind of haven't noticed. And there can be a dullness that comes around our heart that doesn't really let us see the fact that we're tolerating sin in our own heart or we're tolerating Um, things that God really doesn't want us to have in our heart. This is an illustration from John Piper. He says, um, early on in life, someone might have put a a necklace around you, which uh, an ebony one, say for Jez, what's ebony? Ebony is dark wood. It's dark wood. Um, an ebony necklace and it's soft to the touch and you can feel it and it feels nice and it feels comforting as you touch it and you've had it there for years and you're used to it being there and it gives you some comfort as you touch it and as you look at it in the in the the dimness it seems kind of black and and you think it's probably quite precious and beautiful and you probably presume that it is because you've had it a long time and then God turns the light on in your life and you're able to see the thing for what it is and you hold up this brooch and you realize that Satan's tricked you into receiving in your horror and disgust it's a cockroach this is this thing so this thing that you've been stroking and that's what sin can be like that it's it can be comforting sometimes to have this um, thing in your heart where it's you become dull to its effect you can become um, a little bit passive as to what it can do to you, but actually it's something really disgusting, and if you saw it for what it was, you'd rip it off and throw it away. Mm. And this is a bit similar. I was looking up uh, 
a couple of days ago about smoking, and this isn't an anti-smoking campaign, it's no comment on smoking one way or the other. It's just interesting how things have changed over the years. This particular advert from the 30s is talking about L&M filter tips are just what the doctor ordered. And there was another one that says, these Chesterfields are great, they're best for you. Mentharettes, mentholated cigarettes, they ease as they please. These days we have graphic images of people dying of cancer. It says smoking kills, cancer kills. And I didn't get the most graphic one I could find. You'll be pleased to know I didn't get one of the lungs, the diseased lungs and all of that. I got one of those. So from 30s to now, it's what the doctor ordered a few years ago. Now there's someone who it clearly wasn't what the doctor ordered because uh, they're dead. And the thing was, smoking was just as dangerous for you in the 30s as it is now. And sometimes we can have an attitude to sin that is a bit like a 30s view of smoking, that it's kind of social and it's, yeah, it might be a bit, you know, spoil your taste, food might taste different and it might make things, your hands smell and your hair smell or things like that. Nothing too bad, can tolerate it. But it was just as deadly then as it is now. And, but that's a little bit like sin sometimes. We can be stroking this thing that we think is an ebony thing but really, it's something hideous and something really that God doesn't want in our lives and he wants us to get rid of. Something that can hinder our prayers, it can affect our relationships and something that we really need to, to sort out. It is just worth mentioning as well that, I haven't got a lot of time for this, but sin is not the same as temptation. So sometimes we can be tempted. I'm, I'm majoring on um, unresolved relationships, but God doesn't like it. You know, and if that's caused you to sin, that's one thing. But God doesn't like any sin. So any sin will kill prayer. It's not just, oh, I haven't got relational sin, so I can carry on with idolatry, and I can carry on with this, that, and the other idolatry being that you love something else more than you love God. Anything, job, children, people, anything, anything. So it's not like... Um, we're just confining this to relationships. Any sin is, um, is a killer. Any sin will separate. And it's not like we can't come back because we know we're children of God. We know that he has made provision in the sacrifice of his son for us to come back to him and to have this hindrance, um, this interrupted um, communication resolved. But temptation and sin are not the same thing. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. He was tempted on all points, he didn't sin. So we haven't got time to go into that, but we can come into big condemnation sometimes, thinking I'm sinning when I'm just being tempted. So there is a difference. I just want to mention that, and that's all there's time for. So if we need forgiveness, it is good to see that God's view can be different to what ours is. Sometimes we can um, be so overwhelmed by our sin, it become, can become unhealthy. That's not to say that godly sorrow isn't good because Paul outlined with the Corinthians what um, outstanding attitude they had after he pointed something out to them, what um, earnestness, what, um, there was such a desire to do the right thing after sin. So it's not that godly sorrow 
um, godly sorrow leads to salvation. It's not that we shouldn't have sorrow, but we shouldn't stay in that place too long. Because God doesn't. And if we look at... um, Here we go. There's a little bit from the prodigal son. Last week, Jez pointed out that at the beginning of the journey, the prodigal son wasn't sorry. He started off home because he was hungry. By the time he spent a bit of time in the father's presence, he is clearly sorry. This is, um, so the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father at this point doesn't put him on hold and just do a calculation and a reasoning to think, well, can we afford this, this um, sin? He's done it lots of times before. It's been repeated many times. Is there provision in the blood? Do we really want to do this? He keeps doing the same thing. There's none of that. And it isn't that he doesn't issue forgiveness. But if you see the contrast here, Mm. I've sinned. Mm -hmm. The father's response is, quick, bless him. And, And I believe that that is a little bit of a picture of what heaven is like. It isn't that there isn't a transaction. There isn't um, a concern for sin. There isn't forgiveness issue because there is. But I think the emphasis, um, and you can overemphasize here, this is just a parable, not a, um, you know, you can't take every dot and every word in here and make it mean something. But the transition is, I've sinned. The answer is, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. So there's a transition from one to the other. It's a straightforward thing. When I was at college, we studied um, all sorts of different things. I did electronics and communication. One of the things we looked at was logic and um, things like if-then statements. And so when I see this verse, which is a very... Uh, familiar one to people who are Christians, 1 John 1 verse 9, it says if. So if, and this is the condition that needs to be met, if we confess our sins, so that's quite straightforward, isn't it? We can measure that, we know whether we've done that. It hasn't got a then in there, but I like to imagine a then in there because it's an if-then statement. Then he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we meet the condition which is confess the sins, he will do the other bit. He will forgive, and not just forgive, he purifies us and cleanses us from all that stuff. It's all gone. It's very simple. So there's nothing so bad that we can do. And of course, there is a difference. We have been justified. We covered all that at the beginning. It's not like we ever stop being God's children, but things can get in the way and bring a hindrance and an interruption. So from my understanding of the Bible, from my own experience, and from also times when I've been involved and had the privilege of being involved in helping others through to freedom from inner hurts in things, that broken relationships, whether it's with someone living or someone's dead, I think that's relevant. It could be someone who's, who's done something to you that's not even alive anymore, but we can forgive them still. Because forgiveness is for our benefit, not for theirs at this point. So whether they're living or whether they're dead, whether it was someone else's fault or whether it's my fault, whether they're sorry or not, that can be a big test. Sometimes it's easy if someone says, I'm sorry, say I forgive you. What about if they never say they're sorry? 
Sometimes they never do. You still need to forgive them because that's what God wants us to do. These are things that grieve God and they kill prayer and rob us of God's best for our life. They weigh us down. You know, th- these unresolved things, they can weigh us down in life. They mean we can't see vision properly, we can't see God properly, we can't connect properly. We can have um, more difficult relationships with the people around us than we would have done if we'd have been free. Everything is changed because we're still in this place of um, prison. So if, as I've been speaking, you've seen the face of somebody who you think, oh, I I need to forgive them, it's a really easy thing to do. And it's a really good thing to do today. Today is the day to do it. If that thing is like a cockroach around your neck, you need to rip it off and throw it away because it's robbed you long enough. Maybe also you might have found... Actually, there's something that God needs to forgive me for. And again, that's a really easy thing to do. God is faithful and just. We just need to confess. So that really is the essence of what I wanted to say today. The, um, in particular, relationships can kill and hinder our prayer life. If they're if there's unforgiveness, if there's fractured relationships, but it isn't just relationships and sin in that kind of area. It can be any area. And God wants us to be free. He wants us to enjoy prayer because prayer is about knowing him and it's about spending time with him. And it's about just hearing from him. It's not just talking to him. It's not just our Father in heaven 780 times. He speaks to us. And we can expect him to speak to us. We can expect him to, um, us to know him and be known. So what we're going to do in just a moment is um, we're going to have you know, a, a song or two just to be able to um, come in worship and come to be able to just um, respond if we need to. But just as we close now, I'm just going to pray for us and perhaps... Um, John and other guys can come back. Father, I thank you that you've got a good plan for our lives. And I thank you, Lord, that you work all things together for our good. And like Joseph, some things that were meant for our harm, you turn around for good. And Lord, I thank you that you are here with us today. And I pray that you would just easily and Uh, gently show us what you want us to do if there are people that you want us to forgive if there are things that we need to ask you to forgive us for I pray that you would lead us I thank you that you are our faithful friend and that we're not coming to someone who is austere someone who's going to punish us but someone who loves us someone who's so committed to us that you gave your only son and Lord as we just um, spend some time just um, thinking about um, what you've said to us and just thinking of words of the songs that you'd you'd meet with us and uh, bring us into greater freedom today. Amen.